Welcome to Getting Granular, the podcast where digital marketing experts from the agency Granular talk about the latest trends, tried and true best practices, and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to grow your business, improve your digital skills, or just want to hear some Midwest PPC experts rant about digital media, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Getting Granular podcast. I'm your host today. My name is Matt Frieder. I am the marketing and operations manager here at Granular. Today, we're going to be doing an interview with another one of our Granular team members. Uh, Today, we have Justin Lind. I will let him uh, introduce himself quickly before we kind of jump in. Uh, Yeah, my name is Justin. Uh, I'm a senior PPC manager here at Granular. I've been here for a little over a year now. Um, I am a proud father of two little boys, three-year-old and two months old. Um, reside here in Milwaukee, and uh, yeah, very happy here at Granular. So we always like to start off when we talk to our team members about how did you get into the PPC paid search realm. Um, I know I, I get I get asked that a lot um, too, and, and it's like I, I really don't work in in the in, in PPC every day. Uh, you know, you, you can't really go to school for it. Um, there's not many degrees in paid search anymore. I guess they're just starting to make them. So, so what did your path into the PPC world look like? Well, you took my first joke away from me. I was going to say I majored in digital marketing and uh, paid search. Uh, the joke being, as you said, no such programs exist at schools. At least now I've heard of a few programs starting up, maybe like a, a like certificate programs but nothing major uh no actually uh i I like my story i think it's kind of fun um so i used to be a science teacher once upon a time uh so went to uw madison majored in biology uh after college Uh, you can't get any good jobs with just a bachelor's in biology you need at least a master's um, so I worked retail management for a couple years after that, um, I decided to go back to school to pursue my, uh, teaching certification. Uh, so I went to UW Whitewater for that. It's a great school for, uh, education, uh, to become a teacher. And, uh, you know, during that process, I started dating who my now wife, um, so I finished up school here in Wisconsin while she started law school in Michigan. After I finished up my student teaching, I moved out to Ann Arbor to be with her. I looked around for teaching jobs. Uh, I had one legitimate interview at a school. Uh, it didn't go well, needless to say, I didn't get the job. Um, and uh, I was fortunate to find a really awesome, fun uh, tutoring job at a local high school, helping kids with Algebra 2 and then also helping in the after-school program. Um, it was a ton of fun. It was very rewarding, except in the financial sense. It was like $10 an hour, I think, only during the school year, no benefits at all. And as a grown man, as an adult, I needed at least health insurance and some sort of job security. So, you know, I kept the feelers out there, kept on looking, uh, got a job for a short period uh, at a small charter school in Ann Arbor. And that was a terrible experience. I started in January, and I was the third science teacher that year. 
Um, and I use the term science teacher loosely. All their classes were on uh, computers, either through Michigan's online virtual academy or another uh, software program that they use. So it was a glorified computer lab monitor. To make matters worse, about three weeks into my two-month tenure there, they the school extended the kids' school day by two hours for additional classes, one of which was going to be a new science lab class that I would teach. We didn't have a science lab. We didn't have science lab equipment. Not only that, I taught all of high school science. It was a small school, just four classes, like maybe 100 students. So coming up with a curriculum that was discipline agnostic, it wasn't a biology class or earth science class. Um, so coming up with a curriculum that fit everyone's needs, but also taught like the laboratory portion of science was difficult on me. Expanding the school day was difficult on kids for very obvious reasons. Um, plus that job was also an hourly rate job, didn't have a salary going into the summer. So I continued to keep the feelers out there, and I was very fortunate to find a job at the Google office in Ann Arbor um, doing AdWords phone support. Uh, Google at that time didn't provide phone support for AdWords, what it was called then, uh, for small and medium-sized businesses. It just didn't make financial sense for them. Um, so they started this pilot program uh, that I was a part of. Uh, so, you know, they paid us less to make the finances work, but I was in the, I was in the Google Ann Arbor office, um, got a crash course in Google AdWords uh, for the first month, uh, training on phone skills, soft skills, uh, investigative skills to figure out how to solve the problems that these small businesses were calling in from. And uh, that's how I got started in PPC. Um, I did that for a little over a year uh, until my wife, girlfriend at the time, uh, graduated from law school. Uh, after that, she got a job clerking for a judge down in Peoria. So um, we moved down there, and I was very fortunate that there was a a small digital advertising agency right across the street from the courthouse that she worked at. Uh, so, you know, I, I applied. Um, they were looking to expand what they're doing digitally. Uh, they got their, their roots were in yellow page advertising. Um, but at that time, yellow page advertising definitely went down. Digital advertising was a lot you know, more important. So I was their first like true digital hire and I just took with it and ran, took that and ran with it. That's interesting. I don't think I've heard yellow pages on a pretty long time when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to advertising, maybe, maybe dating yourself a little bit, but I mean, at, at, at one point yellow pages was a, was a pretty serious advertising medium. So mm -hmm. you kind of have a, a, a different approach of, of kind of Getting in, in into PPC, you know, you you kind of focus on okay, I'm going to have this career in science or in teaching, and then you kind of backdoor your way into working with Google. So now, mm -hmm. so now you're you know working in Google, um, you know, working on the customer kind of support team, working with small businesses. Um, you know, can you dive in a little bit more about that 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 experience and how it kind of shaped you into to being the PPC manager you are now? 
Yeah. So while doing phone support for Google AdWords, uh, it was an inbound call center. So small businesses would call in because they're having troubles with making their campaigns work for them. Sometimes it was, you know, billing related questions or policy related questions. So that experience gave me a good uh, breadth of topics that small and, you know, businesses of all sizes um, have troubles with regarding digital advertising. Um, and it was all centered around solving problems too. So uh, very customer centric, customer focused. Um, and, you know, you know, now that you asked that question, it's probably influenced my approach to managing digital campaigns now, um, figuring out what exactly the businesses need, uh, focusing on solutions that are available to us and uh, you know, different from working on Google phone support, um, I can actually implement those solutions now, which is really awesome. So you kind of started at this digital agency. You're one of the first digital hires. Um, they sound like they were, they were on a pretty traditional track. That, that, that was their main focus. What made you want to kind of stick with PPC, even though you're, you know, you were in an, environment that that wasn't really set up for it well you know to be honest my teaching license had an expiration date so uh, there was a certain point where i had to make that decision do i want to continue um, with the teaching career or do i want to continue with working with ppc and at that decision point i think it was five years after i graduated um, i was enjoying what i was doing it was rewarding um it paid more than a teaching job. I'm not going to lie. That was part of the decision as well. So I decided to stick with it. And that was kind of my mentality going into it as well. Um, when I was at that charter school, I, I didn't know what job I wanted, but I, I made the decision that whatever opportunities come my way, I'm going to make the most of, it, most of it, take that opportunity and run with it. And that's what I've been doing ever since. We always like to look back at where PPC was a couple years ago, 10 years ago, and what it kind of turned into now. Um, can you talk about what the PPC landscape looked like, the, the kind of tools at your disposal, maybe the lack of them? Um, you know, what, what did that landscape look like when you first started? When I first started, and, you know, my experience was very Google-centric at the very beginning, um, Back in my day, exact match was exact match. Phrase match was phrase match. Now, you know, they pick up on different orders, misspellings, et cetera. Um, we had mobile-only campaigns, and it was actually one thing that we pushed when I was at Google. And then they took that away, and then they brought that functionality back, so it's kind of come full circle. Um, but, you know, speaking a little bit more towards mobile, that was at, like the very beginning of the... Uh, rise in smartphones and uh, mobile usage, especially when it comes to search. Uh, mobile search volume at that point hadn't eclipsed desktop search volume, and I believe it had, you know, a few years ago. And now at this point, um, so you know, Google was on top of it and recognized that, and hence the push. Google also had TV advertising campaigns. They had some. Uh, satellite placements on like channel 562 um you know maybe under speaking to what their offering was but it's something that they don't do anymore uh, but i did have a little hands-on then 
but you know, even when I moved on from Google and started at digital advertising, the other agency down in Peoria, there weren't as many viable options, viable platforms for advertisers. Um, Facebook, I think, was there. We did a little bit there. Display, there are a few display vendors. Uh, I think programmatic was starting to become a buzzword around then. Um, but you know now, I do a lot on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter campaigns, Instagram through Facebook. Um, you know, YouTube was active then and is still relevant now. Uh, so I think that's a big difference is that there are just more viable platforms. People, other businesses are starting to understand um, the profitability of selling digital ad space. Core is a good example. I think a lot of their engineers came from like Facebook and Google. Uh, so, you know, that positioned them well to get off on the right foot and they've been able to uh, quickly ramp up their offerings um, and their ability to uh, allow people to buy ads on their platform. Something that I think is kind of funny is, you know, as as all these people are getting into the industry early on, they're kind of trying to feel it out. Everybody's kind of throwing stuff against the wall, seeing what's going to stick. They're trying to really figure out these platforms. But then at the same time, these platforms are trying to figure out what's going to stick too. You know, you, you mentioned Google dipping into TV and there's been a lot of things that have come and then that has that has been sunset by Google. And, you know, they're 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 man enough to admit, you know, they do the you know, that wasn't a great idea. We're going to close it up. I think the perfect example of that right now is Google Plus. Um, and it's funny because like we're, it's, it's just a whole industry of people just trying to figure it out. But at the end of the day, you just want to advertise businesses or you want to help businesses get them you know, get get their story out there and, and really kind of gain leads on a platform where people are looking for help. So it's it's just kind of kind of funny how that works. Yeah, and it's kind of a copycat industry in some ways. Google Plus trying to replicate Facebook's success um, and all the other social media platforms are trying to replicate what Facebook has been able to do both from viewership standpoint and ad offering standpoint. Um, so, you know, it definitely keeps us on our toes on the agency side, uh, lots of new platforms to learn, lots of new offerings to learn. And, you know, just that excitement of what the next cool thing is going to be. That's a perfect segue into looking forward. You know, what, what does the future of paid media look like? What do you see as, as kind of being the, the biggest trend moving forward five years, 10 years from now? I don't know. It's above my pay grade. Next question. No. <laughs> um, no, I mean, for me, I, I embrace the unknown. So that's kind of why I made that joke there. Um, I, I'll just try to focus on what is available now and how we can take advantage of it. But you know, to answer your question a little bit more directly, uh, I think automation is going to be the big thing moving forward. Google's already started taking steps towards that with their bid strategies, their um, uploading of uh, ad copy into your account unless you explicitly opt out of it. Um, and that's both exciting and a little scary from the agency side. Scary in that part of our job can be automated, at least in the future. We're, we're not quite there yet. But also fun because, you know, as a campaign manager, 
a big part of my job is client relationship and that will never be automated. So uh, working with these our businesses, our clients, uh, figuring out what their needs are and how to best meet those needs through digital advertising uh, will never be automated by Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, you name it. Um, so, uh, you know, as a digital marketer, I think the automation tools that uh, all these platforms will be coming out with over uh, the next few years will just allow us to be able to do more and serve more people more efficiently. So a common theme around paid search and paid media is Google knows everything about me. They follow me around. I looked at this one pair of shoes and now I see them on every on, on every website that I'm on. It's on ESPN, it's on CNN, whatever it may be. And people get kind of uncomfortable about it. Um, you know, what what is your kind of approach when you start hearing stuff like that? Does that ever bother you at all? I don't know. Yes and no. You know, from uh, as a shopper myself, I, I do find it helpful at times when there are ads reminding me that I have, you know, three things in some websites, shopping cart, just waiting for me to purchase uh, I forgot what it was, but um, I think it was floor liners for my car. Uh, I bought them earlier this week, but they sat in the checkout basket for like a week and a half, I think, before I actually like hit submit on it. Um, so in an always connected world, I do find it comforting that there's that level of convenience that all these platforms do have the technology to be able to make it easier for me to make purchase decisions. But I think there's, there's a limit for everyone on how comfortable they are with that. Like personally, I will never have uh, a home assistant, like a Google home in my house because I just find that prospect of a company being able to record what is being said in my house and very creepy and very intrusive, um, you know, despite the uh, applications and the the convenience that it can provide. Um, so I, I think there's definitely like a spectrum of comfort level that everyone has with it. And it just depends on like where you fall on that spectrum. Uh, with a lot of these features, you can either opt in or opt out of it, which is nice. Like I'm not going to buy a Google Home, so I'm automatically opted out until I opt in. Um, but online especially and with your smartphones and even smart TVs, I hear that one reason why they're cheap is because, and this is probably conspiracy level here, but maybe not. I don't know. One reason why smart TVs are cheap is because they can listen in on your conversations and help collect data and sell data and I uh, record like what you're watching and everything and sell that data. I have a smart TV though, because it was cheap and it was convenient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it all comes down to what's cheap and convenient. Uh, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> so you were talking about automation kind of being the future of a lot of paid search, AI really injecting itself into what we do. But the one thing that's never going to change is your relationship with your clients, with with our partners. You know, what is your personal approach when you are going into a relationship with a client? I try to make them feel comfortable, um, both with me as a person and granular as a company. And I found the best way to do that is just to be a human being. 
um, it's easy to get into the trap of everything being transactional. Like I have this status call with the client. These are the topics that we're going to talk about and just get bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. Um, and as far as like getting through your day and getting your tasks done, that's efficient, but no one really enjoys that. Um, both from my, my end, I'm sure the client doesn't as well. Um, so, you know, we, we're, we provide a service, digital advertising, but um, it, it is a service to a customer or to a client. So a big job what we do is customer service, client service. Um, and it just makes the job more fun when you can get to know your clients on a personal level. It makes the calls more enjoyable. And at the end of the day, I'm a little bit of a nihilist. I'm not going to lie about that. Um, as long as you're enjoying what you're doing and you're helping people and you're, you have that sense of fulfillment, to me, that's what's most important. At Granular, one of the big things we always talk about is uh, reporting, ROI, using data to make our decisions. Um, you know, one of, I think our slogan is data-driven digital marketing. You know, that's something that we really champion here. What's your approach to, to kind of using data to inform what you're doing? Make sure that I have enough data. Um, it can be easy to make quick knee-jerk reactions for uh, lack of a better way to put it um, based on a small set of data uh, oh this campaign's got three sales this week on you know $50 ad spend that's great um, but you know is that really significant is it anomalous uh, was there some unknown underlying factor that led to those three three sales maybe it was one person that made three purchases because they, oh I forgot I need this also um, so just make sure you have enough data before you make judgments on the performance of the campaigns uh, and sometimes, especially with smaller clients and smaller ad budgets, that can require time and patience, um, which is kind of kind of counter to the idea that everything in digital marketing, for the most part, can be tracked and have some sort of data point assigned to it. Um, you know, oftentimes, I find I found myself at times, and I've experienced this with, on the client's end as well, where you fall into the trap of uh, you have certain metrics that you can look at to inf inform your decision-making, um, but just because the data points are there, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's helpful. Um, average position, click-through rates, some of the, the softer metrics um, you know, compared to sales, leads, etc., um, can be a trap in my experience when evaluating the performance of a campaign. So I just try to keep the big picture in mind, make sure that I have enough data to inform decisions and not let all the other glittery data points, unnecessary stuff get in the way. Yeah, it's really easy to have that paralysis by analysis, yeah, and and you kind of you know your your client could be looking at four different KPIs that they think are really relevant to what they do, and then you're looking at four different KPIs that like you know are really relevant. Yeah, and you kind of have to be like, hey, listen, like this is what's actually driving, and this maybe isn't. Like it's 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 good to know, it's good to help, 
Um, but it's not, not always the case. What's your approach to kind of educating your clients on that? You know, do you, do you take any particular steps to, to try to kind of, kind of set up that a kind of reporting structure or, or that understanding for major KPIs? Absolutely. And I try to keep the focus on the major KPIs and try to explain away um, some of the lesser important metrics to look at. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll never gloss over or hide any metric or details behind, you know, why conversion rate went up or down. Um, I, I do my best to discover the exact reason why and educate the client on why that is. Um, to backtrack a little bit, I think what we're talking about here with uh, talking about metrics and reporting and what's important and what's not and the, the client-facing side making sure that they're comfortable and happy with it um, is presents an interesting uh, dichotomy or spectrum in our industry in that, number one, we are data-driven. We do try to make sure that the campaigns are profitable for the clients. Um, but on the other hand, we want to make sure the clients are happy and those two things aren't always congruous because clients will sometimes focus on, uh, I, I'm not seeing my ad show up when I Google me, um, or my average position went down by a point last month. Why did that happen? It was like, yeah, but your cost per lead went down by 50%. You're welcome, by the way. Um, so sometimes the client isn't always happy by what we understand as being important. So those top line important KPIs, profitability, um, so we just have to take that into consideration when we present the data, um, but that also emphasizes the importance of educating them to let them understand why we make the decisions that we do and why we feel it's important. At Granular, a lot of our team members have a very diverse kind of background. As you heard here, we have a biology teacher for some point in his life. And then, you know, everybody around granular has their own specializations. Um, you know, some people really, really focus in on social e-commerce, um, you know, legal, there's a lot of different ways that people can really specialize. Uh, what are some of your specializations? E-commerce is one of them. Um, worked with a couple of really fun clients, um, couple of different e-commerce platforms I've gotten to know quite a bit uh, Shopify and big commerce most notably um, and, and it's a lot of fun because it's easy to understand if it's working or not because you have the the revenue um, you, you understand the margins uh, on each products or group of products uh, and we have the ad spend, so it's really easy to go back to the client and say, yes, we're successful, or these are the changes we need to make, and this is why. Um, I also have a fair amount of experience with working with uh, franchise-level businesses or multi-location businesses, um, and they present their own unique challenges and have their own needs, uh, smaller in scale than some campaigns, uh, so you have smaller budgets, but then you have to learn the nuances and intricacies of, say, the Denver market versus Dallas versus Des Moines, Iowa. Um, and, and you're working with small businesses. So a lot of times we do work with bigger nationally recognized companies 
Um, and with the franchises, sometimes that's the case. But at the end of the day, there are small businesses that have an office staff of five, and um, they're you know on top of every level of detail of their business. Uh, so sometimes it can be challenging, but they also have a ton of value to provide on you know what is important, what works for them, and and why. And especially like at the market level, they they know their market better than. Uh, a national marketing director would know the entire United States, for example. Franchise marketing always seems really interesting to me because, sure, there's an overarching brand and the corporate office does all of this branding for them. And they should all, in theory, kind of act the same way, but they don't. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of different things that happen in, you know, you said between Dallas and Des Moines, you know, what, what's your kind of personal approach to, to kind of, uh, to understanding that market? No, a lot of it is just learning as you go. Um, I always do the best to make sure that we set off, set up campaigns to be successful or as successful as they can be right from the start. But there's always going to be unknowns that you have to learn as you're a month, two months, three months into the program. Um, constant communication with those on the ground in Des Moines and Dallas uh, is immensely helpful because they're going to know their markets better than you. They're going to be able to provide you uh, layers of detail and feedback that you can't get by looking at the Google Ads UI or LinkedIn UI, uh, for example. Um, yeah, it's not just like a cookie-cutter approach. Yeah. Yeah, and and that can be challenging with franchises when you're working with many of them because to be efficient in setting up the campaigns, you, you kind of have to start with like a cookie-cutter approach, but be able to be flexible as you're setting it up and after you set it up with understanding what's working and what's not and what, why. Yeah. You start with, okay, I know this works. It works for other ones. Now what's going to work for you? Yeah. Um, and after enough time, or if you have the benefit of historical data, when you first take on the campaign, you can use the collective data of multiple franchises to help inform your decision-making um, and with the most recent franchise uh, company that I've worked with, that's what we did. And we were able to uh, hit home runs right out of the gates because we had the benefit of, you know, not just how Des Moines was working or how Dallas was working, but how the entire country was working, um, how their keywords performed. And we were able to use a large data set to inform what keywords to use, what ad copy to use, and had the historical data to back up our decisions. So we are recording the Getting Granular podcast here inside our little recording studio at our offices, and we are located in the third ward of Milwaukee, and one of the beautiful things of being in this awesome neighborhood is that it's growing, and it's growing by leaps and bounds. So right behind our building, they're also building a skyscraper. So if you hear any kind of noises or drilling or anything like that, that's what that is. So we we definitely apologize. We're trying to edit out as much as we can, but we love Milwaukee. It's growing, but sometimes it just gets a little loud. So thanks for bearing with us. Thanks for listening to the Getting Granular podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the PBC tips, tricks, and news from the digital marketing world. This is your host, Matt Frieder, and thanks for getting granular with us today.